Welcome back to another episode of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp, where the core pillars are to educate, inspire, and motivate. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this segment. Welcome back to Jumps Podcast. I am the founder and host, Ms. Genesis Amaris Kemp, and with me today is Carlos Hidalgo. And here is a bit about Carlos, y'all. He is a life design coach, marketing, and sales consultant, podcaster, author, and a TEDx and international keynote speaker. Over the span of 27 years, Carlos has held corporate roles, started his own entrepreneurial ventures, served in nonprofits, and sat on numerous corporate boards. After leading his first agency to three consecutive incorporated 5,000 awards, Carlos made the decision to leave that agency and pursue various entrepreneurial pursuits, which include being a co-founder in two companies, coaching executives on their life design, consulting B2B, which is business-to-business organizations, and writing his latest book, The Un-American Dream. In addition to his various roles and business pursuits, Carlos and his wife, Suzanne, host the Life Design Podcast, where they interview guests that share their perspectives on how to live a life you love to live every day. Carlos and his wife, Suzanne, have four grown children and live in the Adriandac Mountains of New York. So without further ado, please welcome Carlos Hidalgo, where we're going to learn about life design. What does he mean by that? And how can you really tap into your personal design? Genesis, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to, to meet you and it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Carlos, I am super excited to talk to you because you are definitely versatile. So let's dive into why life design. And before you share your why, let's lay the foundation so the listeners and viewers can understand exactly what you mean by life design. I always like to start with the um, definition so they get the understanding and then we build up from there. Yeah, life design is pretty simple. It's designing a life that you love to live every day. And I find that so many people just allow life to design them. Uh, As we were talking about before we hit record, the number of times I hear people go, "Ah, you know, life's okay. And my view is, you know, we only have one of them. We only get to live once. And we should be designing our lives and, and really planning our lives out in a way that we love to live it every day. Doesn't mean everything's going to always go exactly as we want, but it's a life that is wholehearted. It's a life that's fulfilling. It's a life that's joyful. And the professionals I work with and the professionals I meet on a daily basis, I would say the overwhelming majority don't experience that. So that's what we help people do is design a life they love to live every day. I love that. And it brought um, back into remembrance this shirt that I had that said, love the life you live and live the life you love. And yeah. I <laughs> I used to love wearing that shirt. I think I eventually threw it away because I got bigger and couldn't fit it anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> But I think it's pretty, it's pretty cool because for people who are just going through the emotions of life, you could really say, 
are you just living or are you existing? Because if you're not really tapping into your core missions and understanding what your purpose is while here on earth, then time is just passing you by. Exactly. And I find too, that a lot of people jump to that purpose, right? The big why and what, what happens. And in my own life, I experienced this. I couldn't really articulate my why because I was so confused on the who, the identity piece. And we really talk about, let's get back to who God created you to be. And then once we understand that, then we can really lock into our big why. So the who has to come before the why. And then when we understand our purpose and align that with our unique gifts and talents, that's when the world just opens up and life becomes a freaking blast. Absolutely. And let's focus on the who really quick. And I want you to share your story. Whenever you figured out who you were and how that was tied to who God had designed you to be, and then you got alignment and you got clarity and you just got laser clear focus on where it was that God was trying to take you. Um, where were you? Can you paint us like a vivid image of maybe how old you were, where were you, and how did you feel when you had that aha or that discernment and intuition? Yeah, I don't know that there was like this big aha moment. There was a lot of little moments that led up to that. And I was in my 40s, so it wasn't that long ago. It was about seven years ago. And I had put my work my business, my, my agency at the center of everything um, as we exceeded and, and as we uh, succeeded and, and landed more brand name clients, my ego got as big as the agency. And so what I found is I really put my identity in my work. And I find that especially true for men is we tend to say, hey, this is what I do. So therefore, this is what I am. And I had to learn to decouple that. And it, it really came as a result of me hitting rock bottom personally and professionally. Uh, my wife and I got to a point where we separated. My kids who were teens at the time really just were not interested in me after me putting them on the back burner for so long. And so I really had to make a decision and say, do I want to continue to be this egomaniac, you know, hotshot agency guy? which really at the end of the day, all we do is marketing. So it's, it's not like I'm changing the world in that regard. Or do I want to be the dad, the father, the, the person that I know that I am? And so I had to start to really unravel and undo a lot of the persona that I had built and get back to the truest form of myself, which also meant going back and looking at all of the lies I had come to believe about myself. And some of these for me went back into childhood things that were said to me or done to me that I had just embraced. And then I started to say, well, what do I know to be truest about me? I'm sensitive. I love people. I love to help. Um, I am smart. I can do things. And my whole, a lot of my life, I was told, yeah, you're really not good enough. And so as I worked to unravel all of that, I remember I was 44 years old, standing in of all places, my, my uh, bathroom right off my bedroom. And I was able to look in the mirror and literally say, I love the guy who's looking back at me, even though I know I'm flawed, I'm not perfect. But it was the first time I was able to truly love the person that God created me to be. And what I find is all of us still have that little kid somewhere inside us. 
And I try every day. As a matter of fact, I have a picture of myself when I'm seven years old here in my office to remind myself that even in the midst of all this complexity of adulthood, I'm still that seven-year-old kid. And I love that kid. And I was able to embrace that part of me, which was a, it was actually a really emotional time for me during that, that those months and even years where I started to unpack all of that. Wow. And thank you for sharing that. And as you were speaking, this is what I heard. And I'm just going to say it in, in um, my terms, but feel free to interject or correct me if I got any of it wrong. So what I heard was that you got to a point where you hit rock bottom, but hitting rock bottom was a blessing in disguise because it allowed you to go backwards. And then as you went backwards, you began to really search within yourself and understand what some of those root causes were what were some of the things that you know kept coming up like childhood trauma or childhood things that were said what are some of the paradigms that you needed to shift what were some of the ways that you were seeing yourself and then you had to realize that okay my business is cool like I'm successful and etc but it's driving away my wife so it's tearing apart my marriage, it's driving away my children, and your family is just that, your family, and whenever people begin to lose their family and their loved ones, then it's like they hit that alarming moment, and it's that wake-up call, because you're like, am I so busy chasing materialistic things and trying to secure money that I'm forgetting about the people who matter to me most, the people who are in my home, the people, ah, <laughs> the people who are in my home, the people who are, you know, actually helping me. And sometimes I feel like people get so busy trying to keep up with the Joneses, trying to, you know, show people, okay, this is who I am. This is how I want to be perceived that internally there's no alignment with what is being conveyed externally. Do you think that would be a good way to summarize what you just said, Carlos? Oh, absolutely. I, you know, if I looked at what my, what I would tell you my values were at that point versus how I was living, the two were not even close to being aligned. And so it really was for me coming to the end of myself and saying, is this really what I want from my life? This, this sucks. And I wasn't enjoying life. And I was living in a way that did not at all convey the things that I said that I valued. So it was, it was, I call it my dark night of the soul moment. And this is part of how we came out with life design is if I can just help one person avoid the places that I went to, then mission accomplished. I hope to, uh, to impact a whole lot more through our life design approach, but even just one, then it'll be worth it because, and I, I see so many professionals doing the same thing. And I think it's only exacerbated when we talk about things like work-life balance, like somehow we can separate the two and it's just not possible. We have one life and 168 hours a week to live that life. And it involves a lot of things, but so many people make work the center and then try to build a life around that. And to me, that's quite backwards. Mm, that's profound because I would not have thought about it that way. But then whenever you think about people in leadership and you see them spending countless hours at work, we already spend more time at work than we do at home. And you don't see them separating the two. You could easily see how 
that could skew their views. But then you could also kind of get a glimpse into their home life because if you spend the majority of your time here, what what is your family um, saying? What is your family seeing about you? So yeah, that work and home life balance. And that is like one of the big um, components that a lot of people who come from a corporate background always talk about work and home life balance. And I could speak for my for myself here with me coming out of corporate America where I spent 15 years, but primarily 12 of them were in oil and gas and energy. And whenever you're in the oil and gas field, you're working countless hours. Like, But then it has to come to a point where something happens in your life, something significant, like an engagement, a marriage, a birth of a child, where you wake up and smell the coffee and say, I can't do this anymore. And that's what I had to realize when I got engaged, because I was like commuting like a total of four hours a day. Um, from Houston to like Baytown, Texas, when I did a stint in the chemical plant. And during that time, my fiance, which is now my, my husband now, he planned our entire wedding. Like I couldn't make it to any of the vendors. I couldn't do any of that stuff. And then I had to wake up and I realized it's not fair to my husband. Like he's not marrying himself. He's marrying me. And I have to be there to help him. And I tell people today, he planned everything except my hair, my makeup and the dress, <laughs> but everything else. But then I remember having a hard um, conversation with my boss. I said, I can't do this anymore. And I was in that position for 11 months. I said, I need to go back to headquarters because if not, <laughs> my fiance may leave me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and it, it, it is amazing how we allow work to dictate what is going to happen with our lives. And I never hear anybody talk about kids life balance or marriage life balance or, or finance life balance. But again, because we separate work, what we end up doing is making life more difficult. And I'm a big believer in saying, okay, what do we want mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, relationally, and financially? And you notice I don't have work in any of those elements because work <laughs> covers all of those as does life right? Our kids, our, uh, our, fa our extended families, our marriages, our finances, our hobbies, how we take care of ourselves. That is all part of life. And I am, I am continually on a, on a crusade, if you will, to say, let's design that life, which also includes our jobs and our works, because it, it is at least a quarter of our lives. So we should take that seriously but it shouldn't be the center point. And that's really what I wrote about as well in The Un-American Dream. Hmm. Okay, I definitely want to dive into The Un-American Dream, but before we do, I wanna ask, what is one challenge that you have faced working with corporate executives or any of your clients around the life design? What are some of the paradigms or the reoccurring messages that you hear that is, preventing them from getting over that roadblock until you break it down to them, what you, what you mean by life design so they can really begin to connect the dots. Yeah, the biggest paradigm that I face is a, is a continual litany of limiting beliefs. Uh, well, I can't have that life, or I can't say this to my boss, or I can't pull back from whatever it is. I can't let go of these things. And it's interesting to me, the way our brains work is our brains initially will always resist change because we don't know what lies ahead. And so even if we have an inkling that life could be better, 
the fear of the unknown outweighs the pain and the consequence of how we're currently living. So better to just not do anything and be okay with being okay. That is the biggest thing that I, that I face. And so, so many people, rather than think about all the reasons they can have a life that they love, think about all the reasons that they can't. And so they, they think about these huge steps they have to take. And I say, look, we can start small. We can make a small shift. I got an email this morning from a client that said, hey, I started small. I just did this one thing. And, and it was a super small thing, but I was so excited for her because she just started, right? If you've ever run any kind of road race or if you're, you know, you, you don't cross the finish line immediately, you start with taking a first step. And the timer goes off and then you run your race. And so all those small steps lead to big outcomes. But those limiting beliefs are a constant with the individuals that I work with. Mm, okay. So you so first you understand, okay, what are those limiting beliefs? Right. How can I help you um, get over those limiting beliefs? And I guess another way too is in order to get over those limiting beliefs, you have to go to the core. Where is it stemming from? And then once you get to the core, then you could really, I like to use the weeds analogy, you could really pluck that weed at its root so it doesn't continue to grow back. And then you start to see them shift that paradigm and start to walk in to a life that they love and that they want to live. Absolutely. And then they start to plan it out and execute. And when when it gets to that phase, I mean, I've worked with people who've been able to, you know, I had one individual who said, I'm now in the process of becoming best friends again with my wife. I mean, that to me was like an an amazing statement of, and they've been married almost 20 years. Uh, Another individual who said, you know what, I don't want to run my business like this anymore, ended up selling his business and moving his family closer to their uh, both he and his wife, uh, they, they moved from one state to another to be closer to their extended family and make sure their kids are close to their grandparents. So it's those kind of things. And, and each one of them, when we started, they were kind of like, oh boy, I don't know if I can do this. And gradually we started small. We made small little incremental steps. And again, I say we, they, I just helped guide that process. But to see the lives they're living now And then some with, hey, I've got a new job or I've decided not to grow my business because I want that time with my family. I want to take care of myself. I don't want the stress. And I'm really good with where I'm at. That level of contentment that you see in people is just fantastic. That is amazing. And it it warmed my heart whenever you talked about the guy that says, um, becoming best friends again with his wife right. and just hearing the other stories because it's like, yes, that, that's what I'm talking about. Like we're doing it together, but you're giving them the tools, but it's up to them to apply those tools. Yes. So let's um, jump into the un-American dream. So yeah. why the name the un-American dream? Yeah. Um, you know, the, the American dream, which is so common in our vernacular today, even overseas, um, right after the book came out, I was in Australia at a conference and they were like, yeah, it's, you know, we understand what that is. So worldwide, most people understand the quote unquote American dream. I started to really look at my own life and what I came out of workaholism and, and hell bent on my career and aligning my identity with my career and my professional achievements. And then I went back and I looked at 
the uh, the phrase when it was coined in 1931 by uh, Truslow Adams. And what he stated versus what we're doing today, it, the, the two just don't align. And so I had a friend of mine who was like, hey, you need to write a book about this. And I put him off for a while and I'm glad he was persistent. And what I realized is what we're doing to ourselves today, working ourselves, half of Americans say that they're workaholics. Um, we're seeing our families be broken up over these things. Um, and then I saw my own story and then I realized I wasn't alone. What we're doing today is quite un-American. Um, where we have made work our idol and our God and we're addicted to it. And so as I started to write, I started to just think this isn't the American dream at all. This is the un-American dream. And so really the book is a lot about my journey, what I learned through that journey. And then in the middle of the book, my wife writes a chapter about the impact that my unhinged pursuit and my misalignment in life had on her and our children and it's a really impactful, I, for my money, it's the best chapter in the book, um, but it's in the middle of the book on purpose because I, I think there's, well, not I think, as you just talked about, there is always another side. When we do things, our, our actions, both good and bad, have consequences. And in this case, I had a, my actions had a severe impact on my family. And I thought it was important that people understood that. And I like the fact that you and your wife both had a say in the book because you get to see it from a male perspective and your mm -hmm. perspective, but you also get to see it from a woman and your wife's perspective. And then you blend the two together because just like there's two, two sides of a coin, there's always two sides of a story. And you may right. never know the impacts of your actions on someone else if they never tell you about them. That's right. And we were, uh, it, the, the confirmation of that came a couple of years ago. We were at a conference and a, a gentleman raised his hand and said to my wife, uh, we were speaking together. And he said, um, I was on an air, airplane back yesterday with my wife. She asked me what I was reading. He said, I handed her your chapter. He said, and she read it. He said, and about 20 minutes later, she handed the book back and said, this is what I've been trying to tell you. And I was, we were both so moved by that and the fact that our story could help someone else. And so, you know, it is, it's a book about, it's a, it's really a cautionary tale in a lot of ways of, you know, there's got to be a better way in, in how we do life and, and the relationship we have with our work. Absolutely. And you never know how your story is going to impact and touch somebody else's life. And I tell people, if I only touch one person by doing this podcast, then I've done my job because you don't know who that person is going to go on and touch. And you may never see the ripple effect or the domino effect, but as long as you are led with your heart and you have that servant leadership, your gifts and talents will always make room for you. Amen to that. I couldn't agree more. Well said. So now we're going to segue into our rapid fire game, and then right. we'll come back to the call to action. So okay, are you ready, you. Carlos? Let's do it. Okay. So question number one, dream car. Dream car. I had a, had my dream car. I sold it. It was a Dodge 3500 Ram. We lived in an RV for seven months, so we needed that to pull it. And when we decided to buy this house, unfortunately, I had to part with my dream car. But I had it for 17 months, and it was glorious. Amazing. 
Two, favorite color? Red. Three, if you could go anywhere in the world and money was no option, where would it be? Anywhere in the world and money was no option. Well, I would go to the Southern Island of New Zealand because I've been on the Northern part in Auckland and Wellington, but I really want to explore and go ski uh, the Southern, like Christchurch, New Zealand area. Ooh, okay. Four, if you could go back into time and give your younger self a piece of advice, what would it be? The piece of advice I would give is don't isolate yourself. Uh, be find at least one person, namely my wife, to be open and let her see the good, the bad, the ugly, the fears, the highs, the lows, the anxiety. Be an open book because we were not made to live in isolation. We were made to live in intimate, meaningful community. Ooh, I like the substance behind that. Okay, five. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? I'd want to be invisible. What? Why? <laughs> Because you could do so many cool things being invisible. I could run onto a field in a Yankee game and nobody would see me. It would be amazing. Either that or reverse time. I'm not sure which one. Probably, well, now that I think about it, probably reverse time. If I could go back and reverse time, because then you could watch your Sunday games, reverse time, put all your bets down, and there you go. So, yeah, either one of those two I'd be okay with. Oh, man. Six, favorite food? Uh, anything Italian or sushi. Ooh, okay. I love, I love both of those. Yeah. Um, seven. Okay. Here's a good one. So if you could trade something that you have now, what would it be and why? Like a material thing? Yeah. If I could trade some, I'd probably trade my bike. Um, I was given an amazing bike by a great friend. Um, but I have another one that's a mountain bike that's really old. So I would trade that one and look for an upgrade. <laughs> okay. Um, eight, what is one crazy thing that you've done in your life? Um, well, I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. Probably the one which I have been told in no, un, no circumstance am I allowed to do again. There's a place not far from our house that's called Split Rock. It's a bunch of deep water pools and uh, the Bouquet River flows through it. And when I was in my 20s, there is a 70 foot jump that you have to run and jump out over rocks. I've done that three times. And recently we were back up there. And my wife said, yeah, you do this again. We're done. So I will not be doing that again. I'm glad I did it. But yeah, it was pretty crazy. And it was a little intense. Oh, my gosh. My whole face just changed <laughs> when you shared that. Okay, nine. Okay. What is one piece of advice that you would give to a up and coming marriage couple, married couple? Um, what I would say is share everything with each other and, and practice gratitude, even for the smallest of things. If he brings you a cup of water, if you make the bed, just thank each other for every little thing you can, because that spirit of gratitude will carry you through a lot of hard times and share everything. Zero secrets. Mm, okay. Yeah. Open communication and honesty. Yes. And 10, do you want to pass or play? If you pass, you can ask me any question that you want to know about me. If you play, I ask you one last question. Let's play. Play. Ooh, he's going to play, y'all. So let's see. Ooh, I got to make this a hard one. 
What? Name one of your jobs that you hated the most, but you stayed because the money was good. That had to be in college. I was working in a factory. I was working maintenance in a factory. And for two weeks, my job was to go into the big boiler room. And I'm not talking like small. These were massive. There was a whole building with just these massive boilers. And I had to crawl in them and power wash these boilers. And so it, it was hot. It was stinky. I was getting wet. It was awful. But I was, I'd already committed to the job. The pay was decent. It was really good motivation, though, to go back to college. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And now we're jumping into our call to action segment, Carlos. So what is your call to action for this segment that you want the listeners and viewers to do? I would love for you to just go visit our website. It's pretty simple, yourlifedesignjourney.com. There you can access our blogs. You can listen to our podcast. You can if, look at our coaching options if you're up for coaching. And if you just want to grab 30 minutes and talk through and say, hey, is coaching for me? I am not here to sell you. I am here to help you. And so if you want to grab 30 minutes, you can just email me at carlos at yourlifedesignjourney.com. Okay, so carlos at yourlifejourney.com. And then your life design, yourlifedesignjourney.com. Perfect. Thank you for correcting me. And yeah. Carlos, where do you primarily hang out on social media? Um, I'm very active on Twitter. Uh, it's at C-A Hidalgo, H-I-D-A-L-G-O. Uh, very active on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. I am on Facebook. And we just started the Life Design YouTube channel. Just launched that yesterday. Ooh, congratulations. Thank you. And listeners and viewers, you have all of contact all of Carlos' contact information. I'll also link them in the show notes. So you can definitely plug in with Carlos so you can get your life design and just really understand where you are and where it is that you're trying to go. Make sure you subscribe and share this segment. We're on 40 plus platforms. Also connect with us on YouTube for all things video content by typing in at gems with genesis amaris kemp and lastly but not least we're currently looking for brand sponsors spaces limited but you could have your products and services heard right here where we are ranked in the top three percent globally out of 2.8 million podcasts per www.listennotes.com so find out more information by heading on over to genesis amaris until next time peace love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. Thank you for listening to another segment of GEMS Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this recording. Make sure you like, comment, share, and subscribe to GEMS Podcast on your audio platform, as well as our YouTube channel, GEMS with Genesis Amaris Kemp. We would love for you to be a sponsor, so please reach out via email at Gems, G-E-M-S, with W-I-T-H, Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S, Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, Kemp, K-E-M-P, at gmail.com, where your brand, your swag, your services, 
to be here on GEMS Podcast.